guests. And this is the first time we've had two guests on at the same time. So um, I know that doesn't sound that exciting, but but there could be some logistical issues we still have to work out about that. Um, but um, uh, Weston Thatcher's been working in the cannabis industry since 2014, which is before the days of legal recreation sales. Are, are we going to be talking about what you were doing before it was? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We I think it's 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 pertinent for sure. OK, good, good. Mm -hmm. All right. So so you've worked in small mom and pop shops and um, large multi-state retailers and distribution operations. And he specializes now in uh, the fields of inventory control, retail management and uh, track and trace operations. And we'll get into what all those things mean in a little bit. And currently Weston's the Vice President of Operations for Supreme Oak Ventures, um, which holds, and I'm not sure I know what this is, but I'm hoping you guys will tell me, uh, they hold a distribution and type six manufacturing license, uh, and they're located in the Bay Area. And then um, Robbie Sintich, or Robert Sintich Jr., is um, Chief Operations Officer for Supreme Oak Ventures. And that's the parent company for for Telus Distribution, Mary and Joe Delivery, and um, all that sort of thing. Um, Robbie was in the U.S. Marine Corps and uh, received a degree in criminal justice, and then he moved to uh, to the Bay Area from the Northeast to explore opportunities in the cannabis industry. And he's worked at a number of places, including Harborside Health Center. Um, he's worked in inventory, uh, merchandising, cash handling, and the safety and security area. Um, and, and I guess uh, you guys are both doing consulting as well for individuals and companies that are interested in this rapidly expanding field, you know, in the cannabis industry. Did I get some of that right at least? Uh, yes, sir. It sounds like you did uh, an exceptional job, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, well, thanks. On behalf of Supreme Oak, we definitely want to thank you uh, for giving us the opportunity to bring, you <laughs> on, to bring us on here and kind of uh, shine some light into our industry and the ever-evolving uh, challenges that we face. Uh, Supreme Oak Ventures is an equity-owned uh, cannabis company. We're headquartered out of uh, Oakland, California. Uh, we were one of the first equity programs to be approved by the city. Um, uh, it, very exciting to be able to kind of shed light in this uh, industry, but more specifically the knowledge and the education behind it, uh, which is what I truthfully believe is, is lacking most, not only in the Bay Area, but across the country. No, that's that's why you're here. And and you know, Golden Gate, um, not not as a plug necessarily, but but Golden Gate's really been thinking about like what are the different industries that are emerging in the Bay Area? What can we do to help our students um, get a better understanding of what's going on in the region? And um, cannabis studies is is definitely a growing field, and and um, there are apparently a, a fair number of opportunities. Uh, you know, as as a number of uh, organizations and individuals have been have been such as yourselves have been coming here and, and setting up shop um, but it is an industry that's very different from most other industries in that the uh, there are several legal gray areas at least uh, federally speaking right um, I mean this is this is legal in the state of California right so anything we talk about here is not you know there's nothing wrong with what we're talking about or anything like that but but I will say that um, sometimes when I've um, broached the subject, of legal cannabis, um, you know, people, especially older folks, you know, will sort of, will sort of uh, make jokes about like, uh, oh, you're trying to create a buzz about cannabis industry, aren't you? You know, or something like that. And and I guess it's funny the first time. And um, anyway, so but why don't we um, talk about you know some of the real nuts and bolts? Is what's you know because this is a serious industry. Like how did how did the two of you um, 
Uh, maybe, Robbie, you want to start. How did, how did the two of you get in, involved in, in the legal cannabis industry? Sure. Well, that's a great question. Uh, and I think that's a great point to make. You know, there's this huge stigma uh, and false understanding behind the industry. Um, so that was truthfully growing up on the East Coast. That's something that I kind of grew up around and maybe not understanding the full scope or benefits to cannabis, you know, just understanding maybe, you know, you take a hit of a joint or smoke a little bit. Uh, and, you know, that's about all you're going to get out of it. Uh, once I came out of the military, I really started to look into the medicinal benefits and started understanding uh, the other potentials that cannabis could offer, um, not only to individuals, but specifically to veterans uh, and people who truly could, you know, benefit from the medicinal sides of it. Uh, and once I, I actually enrolled with my father in a program out of uh, Oaksterdam University, uh, but it was back in Washington, D.C., and that kind of really opened not only my eyes, but I think, you know, my father's as well into what the cannabis industry could truly be and how much information is out there that's just not even talked about or, you know, given the light of day. Uh, so I think that's, that was a huge driving factor and, and you know, option that pulled me in. Uh, especially while I was studying criminal justice, uh, to be able to say, oh, you know, this is the other side of the sword. As we all understand, there's always two sides. Um, right. So again, I think, you know, being able to shed the light and to at least open the opportunity to other individuals. Uh, when I moved out here, it was a, a huge, you know, undertaking and definitely a new venture. Uh, but I really lucked out and was able to be taken under the wings by some of the greatest individuals and influential people in the industry. Uh, Weston Thatcher being one of those. And uh, while we managed, you know, ran alongside and managed the sale team down at Harborside, uh, it was certainly a, an experience prior to Prop 64 with Prop 215. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. Federally, even today, as we sit here and talk about it, uh, we're in a legal, uh, quote unquote, legal state yeah. um, with, you know, adult use or uh, uh, as well as medical. But federally, we're still scheduled one uh, controlled substance, which under the guidelines of the feds actually shows there is no medicinal benefit. All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in, in a moment. I, I, I definitely want to spend time just talking about that. Um, but I, we have to let Weston talk about how we got into industry too. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. Thank you. So um, I, I got my start. I, I, prior to entering the cannabis industry, I was, a, I was an EMT. I was an emergency medical technician. Um, and like, like several other people, um, not, you know, not just stoners, not just you know, like cannabis people. I was somebody who at the end of the day had no problem with lighting up a joint and using that as, you know, my way to just sit back and relax. And for the longest time, those two worlds, you know, they had to be separate. It's not something you can talk about, obviously, as an emergency medical technician, and it's really not a subject that you can bring up, uh, you know, as common conversation with any company to this day. Um, and so uh, I, I was actually at a trade show, uh, a cannabis trade show, just kind of, um, you know, walking through one day. And it was actually my mom who sent me a text message and said, hey, you know, uh, um, why don't you look in, you know, see what the opportunities are looking like in the cannabis industry. And it would. It wasn't even until that moment I realized that, wow, you know what, I can make a career out of the cannabis industry. I was, uh, I grew up in, in San Jose, and um, I'm sure several people know that um, San Jose back in the, in the late 2010s were, was, it was a hotbed for, for uh, cannabis dispensary activity. We had over 100 retailers, what, you know, 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We might be frozen there for a second. Give him a second. There he is. Get some of the more uh, space in San Jose for a time was um, was very uh, uh, very saturated, and so it was. It, I I found an opportunity to you know leave the uh, I guess you know the more serious side of work behind and come into the cannabis space, which I learned pretty quickly is just as serious. It's uh, very fast paced. There's a lot to learn. It's constantly changing. Operations are constantly having to adapt with the changes. And um, it, since then, you know, uh, cannabis has always fulfilled my, my you know, desire for, uh, you know, the artistic side of myself, the scientific, uh, the scientific portion of it that I like, you know, uh, the retail operations side. It's, it's something that's been very, uh, very stimulating ever since I got into the industry. And uh, yeah, I feel very lucky to, uh, to be here at this point Great. representing for uh for supreme oak great thanks all right so so i just want to i, I know the, the folks who are who are listening in right now um some of them are ex, you know really knowledgeable in the field and i'm already seeing some questions in the uh in the q a and by the way if anyone has questions please do post them in the q a which is at the bottom of the screen um but um um you know there are some people who are really knowledgeable and then there's others of us uh, include myself who are a little bit less knowledgeable so this is something that's really only been legal um, for, I know what you guys have called adult use, or as opposed to uh, medical use, um, for two years, two, three years. And can you talk about um, what has happened to to allow this to be legal in California? Sure, absolutely. Well, prior to um, Prop 64 being passed, Prop 215 was uh, kind of ruling the streets. And that was a uh, I would say a shelter and a protection for a lot of the uh, cultivators as well as manufacturers uh, that were in the state. Um, however, it did kind of create a little bit of a gray zone um, and it, it created this lapse in not only regulation, but I'd say more importantly, quality control, which was a big thing, uh, truthfully, that I've seen kind of emerge out of this. And honestly, one of my driving forces and why I think it's so important that we have some sort of testing, at least based at testing, uh, is because the quality control. There's so many different factors and things that uh, people don't even necessarily understand that could, it may be safe to ingest when you eat it, but when you uh, ingest it in terms of smoking or, or inhalation, it creates a totally different animal inside your body. So let me, before you go on, I'm sorry. So Prop 215, that was way back in like 1996 that that was passed, right? That was the medical marijuana, um, um, uh, that was the law that uh, people, uh, voters approved that, that made medical marijuana yeah. legal in California, right? But it left a lot of uncertainty as to the cultivation, all the things you're talking about, quality control. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the industry w was launched in, in 1996, uh, you know, the Compassionate Use Act and, um, there for, for a long time you know initially that was that was crucial because at the heart of it cannabis i still believe is a medicine it is a medicinal product regardless of how you're using it if you're using it at the you know to relax at the end of your day if you're using it because you're in severe pain and you're trying to move away from opioids uh both of those things to me are are inherently medicinal uh you know medicinal things to take to take part in. And so um, I think when the Compassionate Use Act was enacted in, in 1996, it was, um, 
it was a protection for those people who were really, really using it as medicine. And it gave them the ability to access that medicine from somewhere other than just, uh, you know, a shady character on the corner or, you know, somebody who just had, you know, had a bag in their pocket that they were willing to break off for you. It was, it was really just the, the framework for, I need cannabis. I want to purchase cannabis from somebody I know and somebody I trust. And that built the framework for that. Um, and I think as time went on, you know, and we realized how much of a gray area Prop 215 was, it did allow those players to come in that, uh, that you know, they were, they're trying to make a quick buck. We see it even today in Prop 64. Hmm. There's plenty of people coming in and their sole, their sole motivation is money. And, um, you know, so the, it, Prop 215 was started for the right reasons. And I think uh, towards the end, you know, there was there were uh, studies done that showed, uh, you know, a good amount of the cannabis available at Prop 215 dispensaries. Even some of the larger ones were, in fact, uh, you know, tainted with some sort of um, oh. uh, pesticide or something like that. And so... Okay. Um, you know, we've seen both sides. Um, okay. Well, so, yeah. so like many businesses, right? Like, I mean, quality control is really essential for, for this to be a successful uh, enterprise. Uh, for Absolutely. Everybody. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. That's, that's great. So, so Prop 64 was um, passed in 2016. It, it made um, adult use marijuana um, or cannabis, uh, uh, you know, available as of January, 2018, I think it was right. And, I'm a history professor by background, so I can't help just getting some of the dates down. Very, now yeah, very impressed. You've been accurate as well. There you go. Yeah, you know, I, I have Google. I know how to look up stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so so that's uh, and 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 um, so that has really led to uh, uh, I guess a, would it overstate it to say that there's been a flood of interest or you know new businesses coming in. You're already talking about some of that, Weston. Um, um, is there is there sufficient I don't know uh, regulation in the industry uh, within the state? I, one question we've already gotten in: somebody asked, uh, how much interaction do you have with the? There's three state licensing authorities, right? And um, do you have a lot of interaction with them? Are they are they very active? Are they assuming you're out to do something bad until proven otherwise? Or how how is that? Uh, I mean, that's uh, necessary, I assume, right, for this to work. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean. I think it's it's good to outline you know the who those regulatory bodies are um, and and kind of the structure the licensing structure currently in California. So we, as we were saying, we uh, Supreme Oak holds a distribution license from uh, the Bureau of Cannabis Control. We also hold a Type Six manufacturing license that was issued by uh, the cert the California Department of Public Health. And so those are the the two regulatory bodies that we deal with directly, the BCC and CDPH, um, we're you know, well, we're in the we're in the you know beginning phases of of uh, of building out Supreme Oak, and so we we definitely interact with uh, the BCC first and foremost, the Bureau of Cannabis Control, um, and as far as I've seen, uh, they're pretty, they're you know, we, we use, uh, we use metric, which is the state track and trace program to, you know, track all of our products, uh, as they get transferred between licenses. And, um, I think the whole state has kind of yet to see how, how those regulatory bodies are, uh, are, are respond to changes in, in that track and trace program. Um, and so I think they on their end are still building out their regulatory 
system, just like we're trying to build out our, you know, quality control systems and, and make sure that we're putting out a, you know, solid product. Yeah. Okay. Great. I will say there's absolutely a, there's a good uh, symbiotic communication I see between the mm -hmm. BCC as well as the CDPH and uh, on the cultivation side, the uh, California Department of Farming and Agriculture, CDFA. Um, they truthfully, a lot of these entities, they want to see us succeed. Um, they understand that this is a new venture for not only the individuals who are trying to catch up to all the regulation and uh, make sure that they're doing everything the right way uh, and navigating. Truthfully, it's an ex extensive um, minefield, if you would, of regulation. Um, and, you know, they're also in the process of issuing regulation that, uh, you know, it may sound good and they probably, you know, I'd say a majority, vast majority of the time have good intentions behind it. Uh, but when you go to put it into action, it's either almost repetitive or, you know, we could do things in a little bit uh, of a more efficient as well as a compliant way. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really important that we have these open line of communications. And I will say in our experiences, we've been uh, quite fortunate uh, to, to utilize those and, and have good lines. That's great. And there, I know there's also local efforts to, to regulate as well, which can, can be another layer of stuff to navigate, right? Yeah, so in addition to the BCC, which is the state organization, the Bureau of Cannabis Control, uh, being headquartered out of Oakland, uh, we also deal with the city uh, on a quite regular basis, uh, whether it be the fire department or building department uh, for either fire inspections or building inspections. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. There's always someone who, you know, has questions or wants to make sure you're doing things right. Great. So you, you actually, both of you mentioned at the beginning, you, you, um, your Supreme Oak operates under an equity um, license venture. I, I'm not, I don't know what the term is for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's an equity license or an equity applicant, if you would. Uh, there's certain criteria that needs to be meet or met uh, to qualify to be an equity applicant. Um, so some of that criteria that you need to meet is uh, you need to be an Oakland resident um, or a previous Oakland resident as of November 5th, 1996, uh, who has lived for either the last 10 or 20 years in specific police beats. These are police beats that have a higher, uh, higher concentration of policing as well as convictions for cannabis-related offenses. Um, the other alternative to that for living in that beat would be to have a Oakland uh, cannabis conviction, um, nonviolent as well, uh, just cannabis related. Uh, you also need to, to make under a certain threshold of income. Uh, so there is a specific threshold of income that you need to be under uh, to meet that um, equity applicant status. Uh, in addition to that, you know, you also have to turn in all your tax returns, business plan, proof that you would qualify as an equity applicant. Uh, as well as do your live scans, fingerprinting, and everything else. So there is absolutely an extensive um, background check as well as uh, due diligence on the state's part and city's part. Uh, but I think as we keep moving forward, uh, you're going to see a vast increase in the equity program and truthfully how important I think it is uh, to, to implement for this, for this industry. Now, I know Oakland is a center of, of a lot of this activity, but other cities also have their own equity programs and counties as well. And the rules might vary a bit from, from locale to locale, right? Yeah. See, as far as as far as I know, I, I believe L.A. Los Angeles County is is the other one that that's currently in the process of building out their equity program. Um, I, I also think it's important to mention that uh, 
you know, Robbie and I are, again, we're, we're in the operations department of Supreme Oak. Um, our CEO is the actual license holder. And he is the one that, you know, we're blessed to be here and be the faces of Supreme Oak for today. But, um, at, you know, at the heart of it is our license holder. We wouldn't have the positions we have if our license holder didn't qualify for the equity program. And um, the alternative to that, you know, is uh, several thousand dollars in licensing fees, uh, you know, typically a big risk in uh, either purchasing or renting from a landlord that knows your business is going to be cannabis related. Um, those things are, are things that have to be, if you're not an equity holder, are, those are things that have to be secured before your license application is even into the city, you know? So okay. we're very lucky to be here and, and call ourselves the faces of Supremo for, at least for this program. So, so yeah, all right. So regulation is really strict. So it's not just sort of a, you know, fly by. So one question somebody has asked here is, um, you know, so this is legal in California and it's regulated by Oakland and, and, and several um, state agencies, um, but it's still illegal on the federal level, right? So um, there, what, what sort of conflicts do you guys face um, because of the lack of, it, it's not just because the laws contradict each other, but there's probably a lack of interaction between the state and federal authorities, right? Uh, so I, I can imagine that, that I, I know banking laws, right? Supply chain. Can you talk about um, some of the some of the challenges you face in this uh, because of the conflict in these laws? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first off, th there's no doubt uh, under federal law, uh, cannabis is still considered a Schedule One controlled substance. So uh, in terms of getting any relief or understanding from them, there's really not much there at this point in time. Um, especially like you, you referred to the banking, uh, that's a perfect example of where we are dealing with uh, that kind of uh, disconnect or discourse between the state level and the federal level uh, is banking. Uh, fortunately, California, in addition, I believe uh, Colorado has also passed the similar um, legislation where we, we have the option if it's a state or um, state issued uh, financial institution, we can actually bank with them. So if it's a credit union, um, or anything that doesn't have federal assistance, we are able to, to bank with them. So there are certain ways to bank uh, to go around, but yeah, unfortunately, we're not quite at the level where we can go down to, you know, Wells Fargo or Bank of America uh, and open a true business account. Uh, again, that also plays into taxes. Uh, so at the end of the year, end of the month, yes. you know, we always have to report our taxes. Um, there's certainly a, a steep, a steep uh, tax structure and hierarchy that we're, we're adhered to. Um, but in terms of getting write-offs and things like that on the federal level, even for a business, uh, unfortunately, we're just not able to do that at this point in time. So, so this may be outside of your frame of reference here, but um, I have two questions related to it. So uh, the IRS then, does it recognize what you do? I mean, it, can you deduct business expenses for cannabis on, on the federal level? So not on the federal level, no. And actually, there's been uh, a couple cases in the news over the past couple of years uh, which have, you know, I won't make any specific references, but um, they've actually shed light on that where certain entities have tried to write off smaller amounts of product that had nothing to do with truthfully cannabis, whether it was just paper, printer paper, pens, uh, merchandise, meaning clothing or, or you know, uh, mug, right, right. Uh, like coffee things, little novelty items like that. Uh, that they would write off just to try to, you know, get a little something back from. And unfortunately, the IRS said, you know, since that's such a small uh, 
percentage of your complete business, your business just falls under the complete realm of cannabis. Uh, since the other basically 98 to 99% of the business was made up of just pure cannabis related products. Wow. All right. So then, so then I would assume then the, the banking system that's backed by the FDIC is also off limits for the same reasons, right? For the most part. Yeah, there, there is a, I will say, you know, again, this is a rapidly changing uh, industry. So they're always trying to, you know, figure out a, a way to work, work around things and work through things. So like I said, with these, uh, these past uh, laws that were passed within the state with certain credit unions. I'm finding s very specific credit unions that are FDIC insured, but still fall under the protection to work with uh, cannabis businesses. So we're starting to see a slight change in that, but nowhere near uh, where we need to be. Interesting. Okay, great. All right. So, so questions are flooding in. So, you know, my job is done. I'm just going to read questions off of here and you guys can, yeah. can try to answer them. All right. And I'll, I'll try to just pronounce everything correctly. And that'll be my, my role here. Um, so, um, all right. So uh, yeah, there, there's, a, there's somebody who is an artist um, who's, who's listening in. And so I think this question is for Weston because you mentioned your artistic relationship to cannabis. Can you say more Absolutely. about that? Uh, would Absolutely. You mind that? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, cannabis, cannabis has been one of those things that, uh, you know, for years and years before the Compassionate Use Act, before Prop 64, people have been singing about it. People have been, you know, drawing it, drawing on cannabis. Uh, there's, there's a whole kind of, uh, you know, underground, um, you know, smoking glass scene where, uh, you know, we have these beautiful, you know, pipes and bongs and stuff like that, that uh, that whole artistic, uh, oh, wow. yeah. you know, the, the glass scene has really picked up a lot. Um, there's, there just, you know, I feel that just as somebody who, who is into, uh, you know, art and doing, you know, doing little projects and, and stuff like that, uh, cannabis is just one of those things that folds into that, uh, you know, that side of my life really easily. Um, and again, it was prior to my entry into the, uh, in, uh -oh. That should clear up in a second, right? Uh, All right. Always something that's you know you listen to reggae in your off days and stuff like that. But at work, you kind of have to be a, a, a different person. And so coming into the cannabis industry, it was so it was just it was so beautiful to come in and just be like you know, this is who I am. This is the music I listen to. This is the, the art I'm into. Yeah, come look at my cool, you know, hand-blown, uh, you know, glass bong and, and, you know, to hear other people really, really listen to you and enjoy that and be able to talk to you about it is, is very cool. And so it's just awesome that we're able to do that, you know, in a, in a legit business environment now. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. But like, I, I've also seen that, and, and I want to shift the conversation a little bit, that, um, you know, at first when we were developing, uh, Golden Gate developed an intro to cannabis studies course um, this, uh, this spring, and we weren't sure what kinds of people who, uh, you know, would be attracted to it. Was it going to be like sort of recreational users who were trying to learn about business, or was it business people who were trying to learn about cannabis? And it, it turned out to be more that second group. There were certainly a couple of folks in that first group or who straddled that. There's not, it's not as though they're incompatible, but it tended to be much more of a of a business focused uh, group of people who are interested in thinking about this. So, so there's maybe a creative tension there between what you're describing Weston and um, mm -hmm. the very real business um, questions that come up in what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
So, so with that in mind, I, we've got a couple of questions along those lines um, that I'd like to ask you. Uh, let's see. So, okay, I'm not sure what that one means. So, um, um, let's see. So what, what do you think about the legal challenges? Uh, what, you know, what, what are the legal challenges in operating a vertically integrated supply chain and doing so in a manner that helps to offset the negative implications of 280E? Do you know what 280E is? Yes. Oh, can you talk about what that is before you answer the question? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So TA, 280E is a, actually a tax bracket that the IRS set up uh, for Al Capone's liquor enterprises oh, uh, at the time. Right. So technically... Uh, on the federal level, this kind of circles back to where we were before. That's the realm that we fall under, uh, would be the 280E on a federal level. Uh, that being said, when the IRS wrote those, those, those laws and that regulation, that was with the intent to put Al Capone out of business, because there's basically no way to sustain a business model under that. Uh, so that being said, that is a constant struggle that, uh, especially as a a cannabis entity, you're gonna, we're going to be continuing to face. Um, there are certain things that you can do. I think uh, the question was directly related to being vertically integrated, uh, which again, that will certainly help you and put you in a better position uh, to navigate the field in terms of uh, taxes, outsourcing expenses, and um, overhead. Uh, but there's there's no clear cut and cut and dry uh, way to kind of avoid the 280e mark right now. I see. So then, um, yeah, so that poses some challenges, I guess, for, for what you're doing. Technically, if somebody wanted to go after. Oh, yeah. Actors, yeah. Okay. That's why it's, all, it's always important, you know, uh, to, to make sure you got all your I's dotted and T's crossed and to make sure you work alongside, um, definitely have either attorney or counsel on hand. Uh, that's another fortunate aspect. Um, I saw there was another question in here about uh, equity for uh, outside yes. investors. Um, I think that's you know, actually um, equity, it says equity isn't attractive to outside investors. I don't think that's true at all. I think uh, outside investors should uh, seek uh, equity applicants. Now, it may be a little bit more expensive in the long run if you're looking for, um, if you're looking for your own licensing. Certain aspects of being equity give you a lot of opportunity that certain, just being a general applicant would not. Uh, you get actually, you can pair up with an equity applicant. So as a um, or a, as a equity applicant, you get priority licensing. So your license, if your equity gets pushed right to the top, uh, as a general applicant, that does not happen. The only way you can have that happen is if you are to incubate, which is uh, you basically pay the rent for an equity applicant's business for uh, up to three years. Um, so again, that's going to create a little bit more overhead if you're an if you're a general applicant, but at the same time, it does put your license into priority status and allow you to kind of get into the marketplace um, in a much more efficient manner. Uh, so there's a whole lot of, of great opportunities and uh, sp specifically in Oakland, I know Weston mentioned about Los Angeles earlier, uh, the equity program down there, which I know they've had a few issues with, but um, uh, Oakland, they don't actually put a cap on the licenses necessarily that they're going to issue, but they do say that if they are gonna issue one general applicant, they are going to match that one-to-one -one ratio with a uh, equity applicant. So they are really trying to uphold the, uh, the equity model and trying to, to bring people who have, you know, unfortunately suffered uh, from, from the industry uh, and from the, the, the weaponization or the, you know, policing of the communities. 
Oh, um, I see. I see. Yeah. So there's a lot of great opportunities out there. And I would say uh, for, for investors, uh, equity is a great way to go. Uh, so it's an attempt to, to, to redress some of the wrongs that were, that were committed in the past, I guess, and some of the injustices. Absolutely, yeah. And at the heart of it, you know, equity, equity is access to licensing, you know, so I, uh, you know, as an investor, I'm looking into, you know, the business model and the business plan. Um, what, you know, just getting the license is something that, you know, you assume just happens in any other industry, you know, you apply and you get it. But here, you know, um, the fact that these equity applicants do have priority, um, to me, that that's a very, very lucrative thing for investors to look at. They're able to focus on the other aspects of their business besides just getting the license in their hands, you know. Um, and so, yeah, they're, I think equity is very attractive to outside investors for sure. Good, good, good. Um, that's great. Uh, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So that's, uh, yeah, because for, for so many years, I, I've seen interviews with people who have, you know, their families have been in this business for, for decades and they were always sort of operating outside the law. And uh, now, and, and I think they've also gone back and sort of voided um, criminal penalties that uh, people had um, had in the past. You know, there, there have been uh, people who've had uh, jail sentences sort of voided and, and uh, commuted, that sort of thing as a way to make up for a past yeah, they're starting. They're starting that process for sure. I'm, you know, uh, still, still several people, you know, behind bars, unfortunately, for something that I call my career, but it's, uh, you know, it's a step in the, in the right direction, for sure. Well, here's a great question that just, just came in now. Um, how welcoming are community members to your business? So the people, you know, your literal neighbors in, in where your business is operating and um, what can you do or what do you do to contribute to um, um, sort of equity within the community? You, you know, how do you contribute to uh, addressing some of the some of the issues in the communities where you operate. That's a great question because uh, honestly, I think that's a very important part of this whole thing is trying to you know bring up the community and and not only better uh, the industry but better the community which it's in as well. Uh, so at Supreme Oak, we take great pride in that. Um, shout out to Eric Washington, uh, his wife Sonia and Lee. Um, they are just great individuals, great owners, um, great people to be a part of and work for. Um, part of the application process when we have to put things forward as equity applicants is actually a uh, regentrification plan for our immediate surrounding areas and blocks. Um, so we've actually, you know, have a, a three-year plan to build up uh, and fix, you know, I can't give specifics on where, we at, where we're at, but we are in an, a heavy industrial area down in Oakland. Um, so there's always a lot of community and, and uh, cleanup that we like, like to do. We also have uh, veteran discounts, uh, senior discounts. Uh, we were doing student days for a while there. We give actually a percentage back, cash back, so uh, not to be too marketing. But uh, we always really like to keep the, um, the patients and you know, the individuals in mind, because uh, there's no doubt that once the taxes come in and everything, you know, it, it can get expensive at times. And uh, unfortunately, there is uh, a slight you know, disconnect, I feel like, when we switched over to Prop 64 for a lot of the individuals who were using cannabis strictly medicinally. Uh, you know, things, you know, there was certainly a price increase uh, and certain things like that. So hands down, uh, giving back to the community, uh, you know, trying to be about, about the industry as well. You know, not, I mean, the monetary thing, you know, that always will come. Uh, it is a business, but uh, there's, there's so much more to the to cannabis and the industry than, than the money. 
That makes a lot of sense. No, I, I know, yeah, a lot of what you're doing is really working in the communities. Um, I, I, I've also thought a bit about how um, the cannabis industry has been trying to change the image it has because, you know, as we were saying before, it, uh, as you were saying before, it, it had these sort of shadier origins and, you know, and um, so some of the equity programs that the state and the city have, have passed have been to address that. But, but there's also been just a more um, on, I don't want to say on the surface, but, but there's been more of a public relations effort to sort of uh, do a better job of integrating the cannabis industry with the community. And I'm thinking about some of the things, Rob, you and I talked about uh, um, not long ago, um, just, just the, the words that we use, the, the naming conventions, you know, so, so you don't say marijuana most of the time, you're saying cannabis. And, um, and I think one time I was talking about uh, recreational use and you said, uh, and you didn't correct me, you just said, oh, adult use, you know, and um, I know that's, um, can you talk about that, about the sort of how we're thinking about and how we're, we're, we're naming these things and, and, and what effect that has? Yeah. I think, I mean, just for starters, you know, we, it, it's common knowledge in the cannabis industry that the, the term marijuana was a term that was popularized by the Nixon administration uh, to to really put kind of a, a, a quote unquote negative face on on cannabis itself. Um, they wanted it to they wanted to bill it as, you know, uh, a, a Mexican drug that all of, you know, it was coming up from our borders. It was poisoning our communities and stuff like that. And unfortunately, I think that term marijuana has really has really stuck um, in in popular culture and stuff like that. So I think it's it's kind of representational of the current industry that we're all just we're trying to refer to it as cannabis due to that you know the connotations that existed back in in the 60s um and and yeah i think uh overall uh yeah i i just um the you know the the way we're the way we think about it today is um we we want cannabis to be something that is approachable that people can you know feel comfortable using that something that folds well into everyday life and i think uh just you know that term cannabis is to me just a lot friendlier than you know the heart like pot and weed and stuff like that right. where uh you know we're we've moved on yeah no, that makes sense. That's that's great. And so uh, questions are still flooding in. I, I'm just saying we're not going to be able to get to all of these. Um, I did want to um, show something that uh, that you all sent me though, because I, I think it really speaks to the to the seriousness of of um, you know wh wh where the where the industry is heading now. I mean, you know, not just public relations and naming conventions, but but really the kind the level of of uh, quality control and and uh, uh, things like that that happens. So I'm actually going to share my screen and. Um, I wonder if you guys could explain to me what we're looking at here. I hope everyone can see this. It says Sunset Sherbet in the upper left corner. Oh yeah, so this is a, this is just a brief, uh, this is a, or a generalized uh, COA or certificate of analysis. Um, this is just something I kind of wanted to show to a lot of people, just kind of circle back to what we initially touched on about quality control and uh, testing. Um, as you can see in the top left corner, right under Sunset Sherbert there, you have a metric sample number. So those numbers right there, metric, metric sample number, as well as the metric batch number, those are actually going to be specific to each individual batch from the time that the plant in this specific instance is harvested uh, or even cultivated, start cultivated, to the time that it's sold on the shelf. So uh, once the individual makes, the consumer makes the purchase, they can actually track that batch all the way back to the beginning 
of the harvest, see where it was cultivated, who cultivated it. These are the uh, testing percentages, or uh, which a lot of people get hung up on. Uh, I will just put that out there. There's a lot more to cannabis than percentages and numbers. Um, so uh, those are important factors, though, definitely, and people like to know about them. So it's good that they have them there. But this is the real highlight that I, I just wanted. The real reason I wanted to bring this up is what we see down here is the uh, cannabinoids. So in cannabis, there's over 100, I think it's over 120 now, but uh, identified cannabinoids, uh, mm -hmm. primarily those being THC, CBD, uh, that make up the cannabinoid spectrum in the plant. Um, THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, being with a psychoactive effect, which most people are familiar with, which gives you that high feeling. CBD or cannabidiol is uh, more of the medicinal uh, uh, aspect or inflammation, neuropathy, uh, cognitive function, uh, something that's not going to necessarily give you a medicated feeling. Um, mm -hmm. But all of these other cannabinoids down here, THCV, CBG, CBN, uh, CBC, CBGA, uh, those are all that cannabinoids that we know are there, but we just don't know a lot about. Uh, specific, you know, just another example, CBN, which is a degradation of THC, works great for uh, insomnia, individuals who suffer from severe pain. Uh, a lot of, I knew a lot of uh, Vietnam veterans uh, who had severe traumatic injuries who needed to utilize that. Um, so there's a whole lot of uh, just unknown. And again, I think it circles back to just this first step of shining light and uh, educating a lot of the public behind, you know, some of the challenges that we still face. But uh, I mean, there's a whole vast majority of states out there who pride themselves on having a medicinal program and they don't test for any of these, not That's even cannabinoids. I, they don't yeah. really, they don't test for the cannabinoids, but they don't test for any of the heavy metals, any of the, um, basically any, any of the, the uh, heavy metals or foreign matters or microbials or pesticides, anything like that, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of, you know, that's mind blowing to say you're gonna have a medicinal program and, and not really know what medically is being introduced to the patient. Yeah, and that's, that's, you know, to, to kind of like further on that is, you know, there's also the test results for pesticides and there's, you know, in addition of visual tests to make sure there's no, uh, you know, bug parts or mold or anything like that. There are mold tests as well. Uh, for edibles, there's water activity tests, there's homogeneity tests as well that are all included on those, those certificate of analysis. So the, the, the quality control has, you know, we've, we've reached a new level of, it's not just about having cannabis in, in a cookie that you baked anymore. It's not about just, you know, my brownie contains this, this X amount of cannabis. We, we want people to be able to use this uh, medicinally and, you know, recreationally throughout, you know, day-to-day -day use. But in order to do that, you need to know how much you're putting into your body. And that's, that's exactly what these these compliance results are are telling us that, that makes it's not only sense. safe, but what you're putting into your body is exactly what the package says you're putting into your into your body. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, that's, are there other things besides yeah. the THC and the CBD that are sort of emerging as new areas of interest? Um, yeah, the I mean, cannabis is also a, a, a terpene rich plant. So terpenes are you know a, di a diverse group of organic molecules that. Uh, make up the you know the essence the smell of a lot of uh plants throughout nature and cannabis is found to be i, I think uh, about uh, over a hundred different terpenes 
uh, found in cannabis depending on the genetics that you're dealing with. And so terpenes themselves have, you know, a, a litany of, of uses when they're isolated and when they're combined with cannabinoids, uh, they will also enhance or, you know, hinder certain medicinal effects and, uh, you know, certain effects on, on different systems throughout the body. So um, cannabinoids, terpenes are, are, you know, kind of go hand in hand. They're definitely synergistic. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and how does the medical community feel about this? Are they embracing this or, um, you know, still wait and see or what's going on with that? Yeah. I, I think that that goes back to, you know, uh, federal legalization, you know, we need, we need to, uh, deschedule cannabis. And right now, you know, it's still a schedule one narcotic on the federal level. And therefore I believe the DEA, uh, is, is really the only only body that's legally able to do mass studies on cannabis. I know that uh, there's there's been a program at the University of Mississippi for several years that the DEA actually, um, uh, I believe the DEA sanctions that research. But again, we've seen that at that one, uh, you know, at the University of Mississippi, that the plant that they're studying is not representational of the samples that you'll find here in California where arguably the best cannabis in the world comes from, you know, so yeah, of course, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it it's, uh, it's important to say that, you know, uh, if we're studying it, we, A, the science is based around peer review, peer knowledge, you know, uh, we need to be able to criticize each other's studies and to do that, we need to open up the borders. We need to be able to, you know, have California cannabis be studied at the University of Mississippi. We need, you know, we need researchers from all over the world to be able to collaborate with each other. And uh, I definitely think there's the stigma even within the scientific community of, uh, you know, even talking about cannabis sometimes. So really, really. it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's legitimate in, in certain circles and, and you know, uh, there's still there's still plenty of, of holdouts out there that you know are uh, are waiting for that descheduling to occur. Absolutely. Hmm. Well, all right. So uh, just a couple of questions because we are about out of time, believe it or not. And I could we could probably stay on for an hour, but people have lives, you know, they have to go on and do. You guys probably work or something. Um, um, so so we've had a couple of questions um, relating to um, how do people get involved in the industry. Um, in particular, that there were there were two questions. One was from somebody who's um, out of state, you know, in a state where it's not legal right now. Um, so are there networks or are there ways to connect with folks um, where it is legal or who are advocating for legalization? So that's, that's one question. And then the other question um, similar is, uh, is there enough representation of an accessibility for people of color to join the business side of cannabis? And, and uh, you know, what would the opportunities look like there, because there are probably going to be some disparities, no matter what um, efforts we make to address equity issues, right? So I, I know those are sort of related, but unrelated. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, to the out-of-stater, uh, if you have interest in uh, kind of getting into this industry or learning more about it, there are a number of seminars and uh, actually entities that will travel uh, and will, you know, have in in class almost or a sit-in now with the whole COVID thing, things have kind of changed. Uh, but that is an, all, an awesome opportunity uh, to network and, and to meet some individuals who are in it, uh, whether it's a workshop or uh, uh, a conference, uh, anything like that. 
Uh, there's also a lot of websites and portals, uh, as well as just reaching out to individual companies, truthfully. A lot of times there's just so many moving parts uh, in, again, this rapidly evolving industry that, um, you know, just reaching out uh, and asking sometimes could, uh, could open so many doors. Um, yeah, I think too, there, you know, uh, there, again, I don't think the cannabis industry at this point always knows what it wants. And so if you are able to come and advertise yourself as, and give reason, you know, for why you should come in and work for a company that typically you don't have to have, you know, 10 years of cannabis experience. You don't have to have hands-on, you know, growers experience or anything like that. We're seeing a lot of industries just in my realm of like inventory control and logistics and warehousing. Those are all things that you can do outside of the cannabis industry that right now the cannabis industry is looking for. We're looking for people that are logistics professionals. We're looking for people that are good at, at you know, auditing numbers and moving products, you know, uh, throughout the state. There's, you know, security companies, there's there's a lot of ancillary businesses that that are directly related to the cannabis industry uh, that you you know that that I don't think have been built out necessarily yet. And so, um, you know, and and I guess just more more basic, you know, I got my first job at a dispensary based on the fact that I told the manager, you know, I have a little bit of growing experience. You know, last year I had a plant in the ground, and uh, you know, I got to see that come to adulthood, and I harvested it, and just being able to be a part of that little experience is sometimes enough to just get your foot in the door, you know? So uh, my, my takeaway from it is just get into it, get, be a cannabis person, you know, like uh, just experience it however you're able to experience it. And when the industry mm -hmm. comes to your state, it'll, it'll be easy to get in because you are, you know, you've had a little bit of experience. Yeah, we, we've actually had job fairs at, at Golden Gate, um, you know, which were really well attended for all the same reasons you're talking about, you know, although right now I don't know that we'll be able to do that. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of interest in, and there's great opportunities as you're describing. That's, that's really helpful advice. And, and then what about investors? Is there a different approach that you would recommend for somebody who's interested in investing um, in the industry? Is that legal or, or, you know, how does that work yet? Oh, it is legal. I mean, uh, again, you want to make sure that you're investing with a company that has all of its licenses uh, with the state, uh, whether you're in California or whichever state you're in. Uh, you want to make sure that they're, they're up to date and you're, they're doing everything above board within their state level. Because, uh, you know, again, you can in always invest in the other side of things and uh, you're, you have no uh, immunity or protection at that, at that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's, there's absolutely, you know, reaching out to a lot of the companies. Uh, there is also portals online uh, where, you know, certain companies will advertise if they're looking for specific investor, uh, in specific investors, uh, also for different types of licensing. So, uh, you know, just to give you an example, we have the type six, which is a non-volatile manufacturing license. Um, then we also have the storefront uh, delivery or the non-storefront delivery license. So those are two totally different operations uh, going to require two do totally different sources of funding and uh, uh, amounts of funding. Uh, and, you know, just two totally different kind of returns as well, uh, to be to be frank with you. Um, so that's just something else to kind of consider, you know, maybe do a little research in terms of what kind of license would interest you. Um, if you don't really care, then that's also something else to, you know, consider. But uh, yeah, no, there's, there's always, a, where there's a will, there's a way. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, fortunately, there, 
you're starting to see a lot more opportunities like this present itself and, and bring it to the forefront where you can network and try to talk to individuals. Uh, but there's, you know, still a lot to do. And unfortunately, this industry too, you gotta, it is a word of mouth to an extent industry still, you see that. Um, so, you know, talking, networking, and, uh, you know, trying to just be there is uh, one of the more important things. Oh, that's great. Listen, I, we could, I know we could talk for a while about this. There's a, there's a lot to discuss and because this is expanding, not just in the Bay Area and the state of California, but um, I, I know a lot of, you know, it's legal in Canada, you know, and there's, there have been folks from, from Canada who've been learning the trade and, and coming um, to the States or other countries as well where that's legal. Um, I, I'm going to put in the chat um, your contact info because I know you're, you're cool with people getting in touch with you. Um, yeah, so just put that there. And there's also a link to one of your websites, which is the Mary and Joe shop, um, Excellent. website. Right. And, and so folks there, there's a blog there, I think, and some other information. Um, I, I really want to thank you both, uh, for, for taking the time to talk about this today. There's obviously so much more and there are a lot of questions. We're just, all right, now there's still 14 questions left in here. So that's hardly awesome. scratching the surface. Yeah, we're not, yeah, even, but maybe we'll have to do a part two on this here. Um, yeah, cause I, I, it seems like there's all kinds of interest. Um, we should, we should probably offer a course on this or something. You know, that might be helpful. Um, I think that would be a, a great opportunity for a lot of people who have who have interest in exploring it. You know. Yeah, we, mm -hmm. can, we can do that again. Um, but anyway, um, so so Weston Thatcher, uh, thanks very much, uh, Robert Sintich Jr. from uh, both from Supreme Oak and doing some other kinds of consulting right now. Um, I've I've really gotten a lot out of this, and I, I want to thank you for for taking the time to. Uh, to talk with us. So, so this will be yeah, posted for, for folks. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. This will be posted on our, on, on GGU's YouTube channel um, shortly once we are able to get to it, you know, we're busy, um, but uh, probably in a couple of days and um, um, you can find this and then please refer people to it. Um, we're going to have more um, episodes of, of this um, talk show back to the basics coming up in the next couple of weeks and we'll announce uh, our guests as, uh, as soon as we can. So, so um, thanks very much. Uh, and I also want to thank Joyce Martin, our producer, for, for uh, helping us with like really crucial technical support. So thank you. Thank so, you, Joyce.